Hi, good evening. Take your Bibles out and turn to your Old Testaments in the book of 1 Chronicles. We're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. We're going to be looking tonight at uh, David's mighty men of valor. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, starting in verse 1. You think about mighty men of valor. You you think about uh, warriors and, and people that would come to David's assistance and to his call. You think about qualities like this that are mentioned in in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. For example, uh, warriors in verse 2 who are ambidextrous. Verse 2 says, They were bowmen and could shoot arrows and sling stones with either the right or the left hand. They were Benjamites, Saul's kinsmen. Uh, If you grew up playing sports, I I always hated playing against left-handers. Hated it. Hated playing baseball against them, tennis against them. They didn't work right. They didn't do what you expected them to do. You'd go to block one way and they'd go the other. And they're hard to play. I grew up watching the Houston Astros and I always wondered why the left-handers didn't have to throw as hard as the right-handers. And why they would have switch hitters and why people would go to different ways. And as my dad tried to understand the, explain the advantage of being ambidextrous, but you think of these guys who could draw an arrow and they could shoot with one. If they got an injury, they could, they could shoot with the other. They'll get you to the right or get you to the left. These men with this ability, this, this physical ability, came to David's aid. What about the men in verse 8? From the Gadites there went over to David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty and experienced warriors, expert with shield and spear. How would you like to be described like this? Whose faces were like the faces of lions, and who were swift as gazelles upon the mountains. So not only are these guys experienced and weapons experts, but they're also fierce and they're fast. They can track you down. They can hunt you down and they know what to do when they get to you. Mighty men, mighty warriors, men of valor. Down in verse 14, you see another group of men. The Gadites were officers of the army and the least was a match for a hundred men. The worst guy from among these men could take on a hundred men. And the greatest was a match for a thousand. Imagine being these guys. What, what do you think these guys look like? What do you think the guy who could take out a thousand men looked like? It's not like me. Huh? These are ferocious men. These are men of war. These are men of valor. Some can fight with both hands. Some are weapons experts and can run through the mountains at high speed. Some of them are champions of combat. And as you go down through this chapter, you see that they are men with valor. They are men who know how to command. They are men who are famous. They show great allegiance. They come equipped and and ready to fight. They're ready for battle. Over and over, these men, they're ready to go. But in chapter 12, The smallest group of all you find in verse 32. Only 200 men. Only 200. And it says of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs. 200 chiefs. But all their kinsmen under their command. These were men, these weren't martial skills, these were strategic skills. These were leadership skills. These were, this was a mental skill. 
They knew the times. They understood the times. And, and from a political point of view, from, a, from the, the, the topography, they, they understood how to do things. They knew what ought to be done. They knew what ought to be done with David. We see this, this phrase used similar, similarly in the book of Esther when Vashti won't come out for the king. And in Esther chapter 1, in Esther chapter 1 and verse 13, it says this, the king said to the wise men, and it says, who knew the times. For this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment. These are wise men. These were men who knew what needed to be done. They understood. We might say they had their finger on the pulse of the nation. They understood the times. Now, who's more valuable? The guy that can shoot an arrow with his right hand or the left hand? Or a guy know, who knows where it ought to be shot and when? You need, them, you need them both, don't you? The guy who says, turn me loose, I'll, I'll go fight the enemy. Not today, tomorrow. Not here, but there. Not to the right flank, but to the left. The man who knows how to point the gun is as valuable as the gun. Knowing what to do and understanding the times. These were wise men. They were good leaders and they understood the times. We're going to talk tonight about three things the value to the church today, still God's people of understanding the times. Number one, understanding that these are difficult times. I have a friend who's a salesman. He's a great salesman. I know a lot of you were in sales. He's a great salesman and you know what he's really good at as some of you are? Is, is that concept that they call overcoming objections. Well, I can't really afford that. Oh, what do you mean you can't afford it? Let's, let's, put, some, let's put some numbers to paper. and let's, let's see what we can get you in today. Well, but I don't know. You know, my wife doesn't really like that kind of car. Well, tell me, what, what kind of car does your wife like? He, he's very good at that. He, no matter what objection you throw at him, he has a way around it. He'll always take something negative and, and turning it into a positive. You know, Jesus wasn't always like that. Because he wasn't trying to sell his disciples on something. He was trying to prepare them. And he told them, this is going to be really difficult. Now, he didn't say, you know, people said, well, what, what if people hate us? Oh, nobody's going to hate you. He said, you will be hated on all, by all, on account of me. They're, they're going to hate you like they hated me. And he told them, you know, they're going to try to kill you, and they're going to think they're offering service to God. Children will turn against parents, you know, people against their own family, you have parents against their, you're, you're going to have all of this, you're going to have all this family at people, you're going to have all these problems, people are going to hate you. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Jesus never whitewashed the hard times. Is there any value in men and women in the church understanding the times that these are difficult times? When, when did difficult times begin for the church? Have all the years up to today been easy for the church and now we're in difficult times? Not according to the Bible. Go in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's last letter that we have to the, to the young preacher Timothy, and I like how he begins chapter 3 and verse 1, understand this, <laughs> Timothy needed to understand the times, he needed to have an understanding of how things were, and Paul says, understand this, Timothy, that in the last day there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then at the end, Paul explains why Timothy needs to understand this. Avoid such people. Timothy, you got work to do. Avoid such people. In the last days, these times are going to come. You're going to be dealing with godless people. Timothy, avoid such people. Didn't mean don't try to save such people. But Timothy needed to understand these difficult days were coming. In the very next chapter, in chapter 4, you think, well, well, what do I do? Paul, what do I do during these difficult times? What do I do when people are like this? Paul says very emphatically in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Change your message so that they won't get upset. Don't say anything that will cause them any discomfort. Water it down so that it will be easier to digest, Timothy. That is not what your Bible says, does it? Timothy, I charge you, preach the word. When people are like this, Timothy, preach the word. When times are difficult, Timothy, preach the word. When, when people are ungodly, preach the word. When people are disobedient to their parents, preach the word. Be ready, he says. Timothy, be ready. When? When? In season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Come on, Paul, give it to me straight. <laughs> There's going to come a time when people won't want to hear it. They won't endure sound teaching. So what will they do? Paul, what will they do? Well, they're going to go out and they're going to find teachers. They will have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions or in accordance with their own desires. Timothy, a time is coming when people are not going to want to hear what you need to say and they're going to go out and they're going to find teachers who will tell them what they want to hear so that they can keep on indulging in their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth. You notice, Timothy, what you're preaching, the word, Thy word is truth, right? The Bible tells us, thy word is truth. They will turn away from listening to the truth. They're not going to hear it. They're not going to stay. They're going to go away. They will not listen to the truth. And they're going to wander off into what? Myths. Myths are not true. They're the opposite of truth. But Paul says, as for you. Well, Paul, what, what do I do? What do I do? Timothy, follow them into the myths. It's not what it says, does it? As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Timothy, things are going to be very difficult. Deal with it and do your job. Right? It's going to be hard, Timothy. People aren't going to want to listen, Timothy. They're going to go away, Timothy. Well, what do I do? Say it anyway. Preach the word anyway. It's the truth. It's like Peter. P the Lord says, do you want to go too? What did Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? Difficult times. We need people in the church 
who understand that we are in difficult times, and that's okay. We don't have to be afraid of that. The church has been in difficult times forever. We're in nothing new times, and, and we need to understand that. Ecclesiastes, you know this verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9 Solomon says, what has been is what will be, and what has been is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. We get kind of freaked out sometimes when we, we look in the world and we go, oh no, the world's falling apart. Look what, look what kids are doing these days. You give me any sin today, and it will fall under that one of three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. There is nothing new under the sun. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny when people think they've discovered something new? Hey, you, know, my, you, you never did this before. You never heard of this before. You never saw this before. Heather and I were joking the other day about how, how fashions. Uh, and I told Heather, I said, I remember when we used to wear that in the 70s. <laughs> I, I remember when that was popular. I remember when kids did that and played with that and, and, and had that and watched that show. There's, there's nothing new. Have you ever heard this quote? The children now love luxury. They have bad manners. Contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. If you've seen that quote, you know who they attribute it to. Socrates, those rotten kids. I found another one. I see no hope for the future of our people if they're dependent on frivolous youth of today. For certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. When I was young, we were taught to be discreet and respectful of elders. But the present youth are exceedingly disrespectful and impatient of restraint. It's from the 8th century BC. <laughs> There's nothing new. There's nothing new. The same things children and teenagers struggle with, same things they've always been struggling with, the same things that go on from generation to generation to generation. And you can see the value in understanding the times. And instead of looking at young people and saying, oh, well, you know, all hope is lost. What are, what are we going to do with them? You know what you do? You see yourself. I really enjoyed in, in class this morning in the college class teaching with Kaysen because as we were talking to the kids about good influences and bad influences, Kaysen and I were talking about times that we had been bad influences. You were too. There are times you were bad influences on people and, and when we realized that and we think, I thought, you know, your two ministers were sitting in there this morning saying, you know, there are times we were bad influences. Sometimes there are times they're bad influences as well. I hope they grow up to serve God. If you understand the times, if you understand there is nothing new under the sun, instead of looking at the youth and saying, well, oh, what are we going to do? You look at the youth and say, we need to teach them so that they can take their place in the church and serve. It's a very different attitude when you understand the times. It's a different attitude when you understand that difficult times, instead of wringing your hands, you say, okay, times are difficult, let's deal with it. They're teenagers, let's train them. The third one is maybe the most optimistic of the three. We need people in the church who understand that these are opportune times. We have doors that are wider open than they have ever been before. You know, you've heard when, it's a saying that I, I repeat to myself a lot because it's encouraging. 
we can either curse the darkness or light a light. If the world is getting darker, it's bad for the lost, but it's good for the gospel. The darker the dark, the lighter the light. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You know when Zechariah in the New Testament in the book of, of John, John chapter 6 and verse 35. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 76, we have the prophecy of Zechariah as his son, about his son John the Baptist. He says this in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." So you can either say, oh, things are getting really dark. Things are getting really bad. We need to light a really bright light. We need to show people the light of Jesus. We need to open up a way for them. The darker things get, the worse things get, the more distinction there's going to be between right and wrong. So we need to make sure that we are modeling right, that we are showing people Christ-likeness. There are hungry people in the world, and we have food. John chapter 6 and verse 35 Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, there was a time when if, if there was someone hungry, did, did your parents ever do the hungry kid in China thing with you? My mom enjoyed that. Kevin, you need to eat your food because there are hungry children in China. And every once in a while you get that smart alecky thought and you think, well, let's send it to China. They can have my Brussels sprouts. Let's just, let's just get them there. Well, you can't get food on your plate to the other side of the world. But you know what? You can get the bread of life there in an instant. I'll never forget walking into Bear Valley downstairs and I heard a class going on and I peeked in and it was an empty classroom with nothing but a video camera on one of the teachers. And I stepped out so I didn't disturb him and I went and asked and said, yeah, he's teaching a class tomorrow morning in India right now. Standing in a basement uh, classroom in Colorado teaching a group of Indian preachers on the other side of the world who've already gotten up to start a new day. Men who understand the times. These are good times. These are times that we can reach people who are hungry for the gospel. You know, I was watching the ladies this week make those, those uh, little trifold things that y'all been using in class on Sunday morning. You know how cheap that is? You know how long that would have taken hundreds of years ago? We'd have had Liz and Sandy sitting there with pen and, and you know, quill and ink and writing those things out. Now we throw them in the copier and mass produce them and we send them all over the place. We've got you know, the McAdoo's bringing stuff and we're sitting there with the kids stamping envelopes that are going all over the world. We've got ladies who can reach into the, the prison systems and, and communicate and go into those places and take the gospel. We have great opportunity. We need people in the church who understand these are opportune times. You know, in, in the days of Jesus, there were people who refused to understand the times. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 54, 
we see Jesus' frustration with them. He said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, Oh, a shower's coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus Christ standing right in front of them. Fulfilling all of the prophecies that they had studied from childhood. Performing miracles that no one could deny were from God. Preaching that the kingdom was at hand. No, that's not him. Really? You, you can interpret the weather and you can interpret the sky and, and, and you understand all these things and you can't interpret the times. You don't understand the time that Jesus Christ is standing right in front of you and that the Messiah is here that you've been waiting for. We see that and we think, how could you not understand what was right in front of you? But we need people in the church today who understand the times, who are courageous because we understand these are times of difficulty. We need people who are clear speaking because they understand that there's nothing new under the sun. We need people who are joyful as they look on open doors for the gospel. These may be difficult times, but it's nothing God and his people haven't dealt with before. These are days of opportunity. These are days to share the gospel before it's too late. And for us as individuals, do you understand the time as it pertains to you? You know, it's one thing to look at the, the scribes and the Pharisees and say, why couldn't they see it? We've got the word of God. And it calls us to repentance. It calls us to a belief in Christ. It calls us into a burial in Romans chapter 6 so that we can be raised to walk in newness of life. It's all right here in front of us. Do you understand the times? Do you understand that James writes that our life is like a vapor, that time is fleeting, that we don't have nearly as much time as we think we have? And the older we get, the better we understand that, right? Time moves quickly. Do you understand that you may not have tomorrow? You may not have next week. You may not have next month. Do you understand the times? Those people that you love that need to hear the gospel, those neighbors, those friends, those co-workers, those people in the church who need your encouragement, the people who need your, your kindness and your friendship and your forgiveness and maybe even your rebuke and your exhortation. Do you understand the times? Just as important as the man who can swing the sword is the man who knows where to point it, where to swing it. What to do and when to do it. We need to pray to God for wisdom in the church that we will understand the times and redeem the time for his glory. If you're not a Christian tonight, get this out of your head that you've got all the time in the world. You know what you have? You have tonight. You have right now to become a Christian. If you need to believe in him, if you need to confess that before the congregation so that we can bury you, so that you can start a new life, or if you're already a Christian, and you're just going through the motions and you need to rededicate your life, we invite you to come tonight if you'll come while we stand and sing.